Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast for a Wednesday, November 4th, week 9, just about upon us, Thursday night football, a little bit more than 24 hours away from the time that we are recording this between the Packers and the 49ers, of course, assuming everything stays on track for that game. So we're getting ready for the start of week 9, that means we are talking week 9 rankings. I am Michael Beller, joined by Jake Seeley and Brandon Funston. Guys, we are starting to see the uh, light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the fantasy football regular season. We are into the final third, really, of the fantasy football regular season. How are we uh, feeling about that here? Tired. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Annoyed more and more as I was going through the waivers in all my leagues last night and just annoyed with what there is and the state of so many backfields and uh, seems like things are a mess right now, but I guess we'll we'll try yeah, to sort that out. We've got a lot of backfields that I want to get us to, and we will do that in our usual order. Quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, and hopefully a little bit of time for tight ends. At the end of the show here, four more teams going on by in Week 9. Bengals, Browns, Rams, and Eagles. Plenty of regular fantasy contributors on those four teams. A couple... At the quarterback position in Joe Burrow and Carson Wentz, and that's where we start. And you know, guys, when I, I but usually right, we do like four-ish quarterbacks, six-seven running backs, six-seven receivers, maybe two tight ends, and we call it a show. But I was looking at the quarterback position, and it just didn't seem all that interesting to me in Week Nine. So I've only got two guys in our show sheet. The first of which is Matthew Stafford. Lions are at the Vikings uh, this week. Matthew Stafford has given you some nice empty calorie fantasy games over the last couple of weeks. Two straight 300-yard games, three touchdowns last week, and a blowout loss to the Colts. And he did that without Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay left that game early with the hip injury. That's going to have him out for Week Nine. We know the Vikings are not a tough matchup, but no Kenny Galladay, no matter what he did last week, we can't say that that's, you know, a whatever sort of thing for this game against the Vikings. So, Jake, we'll start with you on this one. Matthew Stafford at Minnesota, no Kenny Galladay. How you feeling about him? Mm, pretty good. Uh, if you go back to week one against the Bears at home, Stafford still almost threw for 300 yards because he attempted 42 passes, only threw for one touchdown. But a I mean, the opposite end of the spectrum for pass defenses, and I bring that up because no Kenny Galladay. So if you look at that game, his leading receiver actually was Danny Amendola. Targeted my uh, – sorry to jump ahead, but the, so, well, I'll bring him back up. My Quintus Cephas pick for the week, 10 times in that game, but Marvin Jones was actually third on that game. Hawkinson got the touchdown. I just think that Stafford is going to be passing just as much, if not more. You know, DeAndre Swift wasn't even a factor at that point of the season, and he had That's a the one touchdown. Where he, but and he dropped the game-winning yeah. touchdown pass in that one, too. Right. So it could have even been a better, you're right, it could have even been a better game for Matthew Stafford again, and that was against the Bears, and now it's against the Vikings, who the Vikings can not only not stop, 
defense or offenses, but their offense puts up enough points to keep this thing going. So I feel pretty good about Stafford, honestly. Yeah, he's a QB one for me um, as well. Love the matchup. Minnesota's banged up in the secondary. No Yannick Ngakwe anymore. This is a defense you look at the last few weeks. They've really been picked on. And Aaron Rodgers had a big game in in inclement weather. So even in bad weather, um, there's still a defense you can pick on. But uh, yeah, I, I think Stafford's going to be fine without Kenny Galli. There's a plenty of other. Well, weapons can we pause and give him. Brandon credit for just saying the entire name of Ngakwe so smooth, like you didn't even pause, didn't even <laughs> hesitate. It just it was very smooth. Just uh, don't ask me to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> just rolled right off the tongue. You gotta love that. Um, yeah, I, th- I think we're, I'll make it unanimous. We usually go to you guys for the analysis, but uh, I-, I feel like there's going to be people who are a little concerned about Matthew Stafford without Galladay, which is why I wanted to make sure we got him in the show and talked about it. This is a great matchup. And again, just look at last week. Even though a lot of it came in garbage time, he did it without Kenny Galladay for the balance of that game. No catches for Kenny Galladay in the loss to the Colts a week ago. Uh, let's move over to a team that is playing the Bears this week. Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans hosting the Bears. This is obviously a tough matchup, as we know, for quarterbacks, a defense that is a little bit softer against the run than it is against the pass this season, the number five pass defense by Football Outsiders. DVOA, we've seen them have some really nice games against opposing quarterbacks this season. But Ryan Tannehill uh, is a QB1 by your rankings. Jake, I assume he is by yours too, Brandon, or at least close. Does that give us a sign, Brandon, that Ryan Tannehill is basically – Obviously, depending on your situation, could be different, but basically a set-it-and-forget-it starter in the fantasy world? Sort of. He's not a, he's, you know, most weeks he's not a super huge upside set-it-and-forget-it starter, but he's been consistently getting you multiple touchdowns and, and you know, low to mid 200 yards per game. And he can, every once in a while, he can run a little bit. The matchup's tough, but we saw, you know, a couple weeks ago against Pittsburgh, you know, I think he did 220 and a couple touchdowns. It's kind of where I'm at with this. The, the key here is that Tennessee, just looking up the numbers, uh, leads the NFL in red zone trips per game. Uh, this offense with Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill's efficiency, they get in, they get in the red zone, and that's usually going to work out to two, three touchdowns for Tannehill every week, every once in a while, four touchdowns. And so he doesn't have to put up huge yardage because – He's kind of doing what Russell Wilson was doing back when before they let Russell really cook, you know, was just kind of be efficient, uh, you know, get behind that running game. And when they get into the red zone, be, you know, be good at putting the ball into the end zone. So that's where he's at. Tough matchup. I haven't ranked 13th this week, but if you have Ryan Tannehill and he's been your number one guy, you're probably still playing him like, you know, like as usual. Yeah, I think he is set it and forget it, even though he made me groan by bringing back Russell Wilson cooking. Like, I thought we were done with that. He's been cooking enough. Like, can we just let it go? Well, <laughs> I, I'm trying to say the pre-2020 Russell Wilson, if you would prefer okay. me to, to term it that so, way. So when he was just dishing out appetizers, is that yeah, what it that's, is? that's right. That's right. <laughs> good was sous chefing. Very good Russell, appetizers. Russell though. Wilson, the sous chef. <laughs> the sous chef? I was going to say is giving everybody some amuse-bouches. So, <laughs> Hell, yeah, so, there you go. The worst game. Funny enough for Tannehill was against Minnesota, but he threw for 321 yards, still hit double digits. So, you know, every other game to Brandon's point, two touchdowns or more, three, four touchdowns. So you see what he did against Pittsburgh, 18, actually the past two games, funny enough, again, against Cincinnati, a little bit of weather, not the Cleveland weather, but a little bit in that game, but 18 Mm -hmm. for 30, both the past two games, 220, 233, two and two touchdowns. So 17 in each game. Yes, I think he is a setter. Forget it. Low end QB1 because, as Brandon mentioned, the ceiling is 
limited. I think he's only got to 30 or close to it once, and that's because he got a rushing touchdown. But he does run a little bit at times. 10, 20 yards is maybe what you're expecting. So I'm not scared off because of the matchup, but you know, it's, this is who Tannehill is at this point. Like, I don't know how you bench him for riskier options. Yeah, include the playoffs last year, and we've now seen him as the unquestioned starter in Tennessee for more than a full 16-game season. And I think we have to take the efficiency at face value, both from a YPA standpoint and from a a way that he uh, has a nice touchdown rate. I think we just need to say that this is who Ryan Tannehill is within this offense, and it certainly helps that he has himself a couple of nice receivers in A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. And we're going to talk about Corey Davis, I think. Yeah, we're going to talk about Corey Davis (laughs) a little bit later in the show. But that's going to do it for quarterback. So let's talk about a regular starter that you would consider sitting in Week 9. Who you got, Jake? Uh, I was gonna. I was thinking the opposite way to f- first. I was gonna go with the. Uh, we can do one. that one first. That's cool. Let's do that way first. Then a fringe or <laughs> off the radar QB, QB that you would start this week. Who you got? Oh, and I'll be. I'll do both at the same time. So how about that? I don't think uh, that he's fine. a regular regular starter, but <laughs> yeah. people have been able to use Teddy Bridgewater, the Kansas City Chiefs defense. I think a lot of people are gonna see this. And oh, Christian McCaffrey is back. You know, the Chiefs. You know, put up so many points. They're gonna, but the Chiefs' defense has been one of the best in the league this year, especially against the past. I'm legitimately concerned about Teddy Bridgewater, even with Christian McCaffrey back. I think if he has a good day, it might have to be in Christian McCaffrey's hand and dump off passes. So on the flip side, somebody I would start over him, who you know also runs a little bit, but has been really slinging it of late. I, I don't know if it's Noah Fant being healthy, but he also gets Patrick back this week. Judy's starting to get an uptick. KJ Hamler's healthy. I, I, you know, I'm not the biggest Drew Locke fan, but in fantasy in Atlanta, I think that you could find a way to get Drew Locke in some of your lineups this week. Yeah, um, I'm going to go with my off the radar guy is Derek Carr. He was my off the radar guy last week, but we have to give him a pass for the weather. Been like all eight weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much pretty much <laughs> in, in, until last week. It's been right because he's always like 250, 260, 270, two touchdowns, three touchdowns. He's been pretty regular there. And, and then last week they had the wind problem and everybody was affected in, in the offense. But I think we can give him a pass for that. You'd like the Chargers as a matchup. So I have him as my number 12 quarterback this week so i'm ranking him as a qb1 um one guy that i think people might think is just a slam dunk play because of the matchup is ben roethlisberg and i would just caution he's not in my top 12 because you look at this dallas team with how inept this offense is right now scored 22 points over the last three weeks and quarterbacks uh against them the pass attempts are so low 24 25 and 27 I think that could be the case here with Ben Roethlisberger. They can get up early. Maybe he gets a touchdown or two, but I think they could be just throttling them early. And we see some Benny Snell and some Anthony McFarlane, and they're just playing very, like, milk the clock, run the clock out in the second half, not even really needing to throw a whole lot. So that's my concern with Ben Roethlisberger this week. Yeah, that was actually a question that I had too. And, you know, we do our Beat Writer Roundtable every single week at The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber, $1 a week, get in the door, athletic.com slash fantasy football pod to get that. So that'll come out on Friday. The question I put to Mark Cabali, our Steelers beat writer, was along those exact lines, Brandon, was let's say this game plays to the script that we expect. When do we see Benny Snell and Anthony McFarland just running things out? for the Steelers. So I'll be interested to see what someone who is as plugged into the Steelers as anyone across the country, Mark Cabali, has to say about that. Real quick, can we put the kibosh Mm -hmm. on him ever using Derek Carr as his under-the-radar guy the rest of the season? (laughs) (laughs) I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. 
I like a guy that people just this is continue. like you're, this is becoming not, like a Jake Gardner Minshew but, situation. But it's not under the radar when you bring him up every week. <laughs> yeah, it is because whoa, whoa, you look whoa, at whoa, his. Whoa. I look, agree, but you're, you're Mr. Minshew over there. Yeah, that's right. Oh, then. and how many times did <laughs> that, I pick Minshew? I didn't. I said I would love to. All the four times. No, go and back and listen. Go that's back the and week listen. That he's not Check available to you. <laughs> Check the tape. The I week said he's I would finally love... not available to you. Now you're no. going to yell at me. <laughs> no, no. I actually even hey, said you know they, what they I say would when you're pointing Minshew, but I'm not going to because I do every time. So we're done. No more Derek. There is Carr. a saying. There is a saying when you point your finger at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at you. I'm so. not pointing my finger. I'm just calling you out, period. He's calling it out, using the voice to do so. Oh, man. All right. I'm cool with that. A moratorium, no more car, and, I mean, you know, we'll see if he gets back this season, but no more Minshew. Can we agree? Or are we all in agreement on that? Oh, wait. I was so, done with Minshew. It's, not, it's hardly a fair fight. Minshew may not make it back. <laughs> so, no, we're not in agreement on that. No, I already set we're the not, precedent no, no, that I stopped no, on We're Minshew. not in agreement. You guys, you guys aren't going to be able to clamp my mouth shut. So, <laughs> without physically doing that, I'm not going to guarantee I won't bring Derek Carr up. It's all about the fantasy community. If they're going to yeah. continue, yeah, and then, to you know what they're going to do? They're just going to fast forward 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, well, man. maybe that's more about an indictment on the the one regular starter that you're sitting. No one's sitting a regular starter usually. There's a kind of a, a have and have not um, kind of breakdown of the quarterback position this year. Well, you know what? I think you guys handled it beautifully with Ben Roethlisberger and Teddy Bridgewater this week. So there you go. All right, guys, let's move on to the running back position here. We're going to talk about some of the same guys that we talked about on Monday's show when we were focused on Week 8 news and Week 9 waivers, but that's the state of the running back position. We've had 48 hours since then to digest things, think about things, think about what situations might look like this week. And the first one that I want to get into is in Indianapolis. Jonathan Taylor, 11 carries for 22 yards last week, got benched for Jordan Wilkins, dealing with a little bit of an ankle issue, but doesn't sound like it's anything that's going to keep him out in this game. Tough matchup with the Ravens, the top-ranked rush defense by Football Outsiders, DVOA. Jake, we'll go to you first on this one. I mean, if you've got Jonathan Taylor... Trust is the, the what I'm concerned with. Do you trust him? You're probably starting him. Do you trust him? I do trust him, do, but I also trust what we talked about on the waiver show is that there was a legitimate injury because I'll go back to what we said in case people missed the show is that if you watched the game and didn't put the name on the jerseys, you would assume he was the worst running back in that backfield. Something did look off. I don't trust Reich that he didn't know until after the game. Uh, that's the part I don't believe, but at the same time, something was off. So, I know that we're doing this Wednesday morning. I want to see Wednesday, maybe Thursday, even Friday practices on Taylor. If he's limited every single day, that tells me he isn't 100% still. And then, no, I don't know that I trust him. I, I would say if he gets a full practice in on Friday, and hell, if he gets a full practice in on Thursday, then yes, I'd go right back to trusting him as a high-end RB2 because heading into last week's game, nobody was questioning him. Nobody was concerned about him in that range. We knew the upside. We knew he was splitting a little bit with Wilkins and Hines, but he was still getting the the vast majority of the touches and opportunities. So i go right back to him, but it's all going to depend on the practice report. So as of Wednesday... I hate to say wait and see, but we, I think we just have to wait and see on Taylor. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I would say I I'm kind of in the same boat. I haven't ranked 18th right now. That could move depending on what we see with practice this week. Don't love the matchup, but uh, you know you kind of think that. Indy's going to try to limit Phillip Rivers in the passing game against Baltimore. They really try to establish the run uh, this week, and and Jonathan Taylor up until this point he'd been 
he, you know, mixed reviews, but there had been some good moments for him. I think what happened here is that Jordan Wilkins kind of earned his right to get in the hot hand mix. And, and I, I was talking with Chris Harris, um, colleague in the, or just a friend in the industry uh, yesterday, and he termed it, in a, he's, Jordan Wilkins has earned the right to frustrate fantasy, uh, fantasy GMs right now is what he kind of termed it as, and I think that's possible. You can see Jonathan Taylor go out there, not look good early, and then, you know, then they, they start throwing Jordan Wilkins in, and suddenly Frank Wright's looking for a hot hand, and you could see Wilkins, you know, stealing some of Jonathan Taylor's thunder again, but I'm, I'm betting more on Jonathan Taylor being the lead guy I just don't have him as high upside as I normally would like I said I have him kind of as a mid RB2 right now going to be an interesting game to watch both individually with Jonathan Taylor on one side Indy's passing game on that same side uh, these two teams uh, being you know obvious uh, playoff contenders and the Ravens uh, still obviously in that Super Bowl mix and just uh, the way the Ravens offense has played this season going to be I think a very interesting game uh, to watch this year and we can stick in that game actually and just throw it over to Baltimore side again this is something we talked about on Monday but I think it bears repeating and looking at with 48 hours 48 more hours of digestion with this ball Baltimore situation in the backfield from a week ago. J.K. Dobbins had himself a big game. Gus Edwards had himself a very nice game, not quite as big in terms of yardage, but he was the one who got the touchdown between the two. Uh, Jake, I know you said you can play both of them comfortably. Your rankings reflect that you can play both of them comfortably. So explain why you think both of these guys, if you have them, are worth starting. Because you got a very similar situation to Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler last year when Melvin Gordon was back to 100%. is similar styles and the fact that one's going to be used in the past game more than the other, although it kind of goes the opposite way in the fact that Dobbins is more explosive like Lindsey, but unlike Lindsey, he's involved in the passing game. Gus Edwards is kind of more. So it, it's not the exact same rules, but it's a similar situation. And obviously not on that level because I have them both as mid-low RB2s actually and for the Colts matchup, I think that you have to be concerned a little bit. I have them at 20 and 22. So they're on the lower end, but Dobbins is going to be the pass catcher. Gus Edwards doesn't get involved. But then the problem with Gus Edwards is that, well, I should say not the problem, but the upside is he's going to get the goal line carries. As we saw last week, they were both on the backfield and they did the quick handoff that would normally go to the fullback, which ended up being Gus Edwards because they were both in the backfield. Mm -hmm. So I think they're both in the RB2 conversation. I said both a lot in that entire explanation. <laughs> uh, they're, bo they're both in my RB2 two conversations well I actually have Dobbins one spot ahead of Jonathan Taylor right now that could that's fluid it could change again depending on how reports are on Taylor this week and I've got said was is my very last RB2 I just I just man I, I really like JK Dobbins and the more he gets an opportunity the more I like him I again I just see a lot of Kareem Hunt in him and I I expect as long as Mark Ingram's out that we're going to have the same role for Gus Ed Edwards, whereas J.K. Dobbins' role could grow. And um, and so, yeah, that's why I have, a, I have a little bit more of a disparity between Dobbins and Edwards, but I'm agreeing with Jake in that they're both kind of mid-to-back-end RB2s. We make our informed suppositions in the fantasy world, but this is another question that I put to our beat reporter, in this case, Jeff Zrebic, in that beat, beat writer roundtable, so be sure to check that out on a Friday. Let's move over to the Arizona Cardinals. Chase Edmonds getting his spotlight turn here this week against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Kenya Drake, Cliff Kingsbury, sounding positive on him earlier this week that maybe the ankle injury isn't quite as serious as the team originally expected. All the coach speak caveats that normally apply 
do apply here, and it's hard to believe that when Drake is ready to return that this is going to be a one-man backfield in either direction, but I think we all would agree that Chase Edmonds has an opportunity here to flip the backfield, to make himself the one and Kenyon Drake the 1A. So, Brandon, what do you think he needs to do over however much time it is here to make that happen? Well, we know he's he's a you know a stud in the passing game, which is important uh, for this team. You know, he's just going to have to look like a you know like someone that can move the chains on the ground when they need him to. Uh, he's only had one he's only had one game in his career where he's had more than um, you know eight nine carries, and that was week seven of last year. He had twenty seven carries for one hundred twenty six yards against the Giants. I think he just needs to to prove that he can shoulder a load in the running game. Uh, we, we know what he can do in the passing game. I don't think. That he can just run away with this, just be you know while while Drake is out. I think when Drake comes back, Edmonds is playing for like the upside of maybe being the sixty percent of a sixty forty split. I don't think they would just completely turn to Chase Edmonds and and make Kenyon Drake uh, you know a straight backup. So, and I honestly think there's a really good chance he'll do that. I I think Chase Edmonds overall might be just an overall better fit for this offense and would, would behoove the team to play him as the majority shareholder in that backfield. But Kenyon Drake will have a role when he comes back. And so my answer to the question that you said, Mike, is that nothing. I don't think even if Chase Edmonds went out and rushed for 170 and two touchdowns, I don't think he's going to like he might be the lead in a 55, 45, maybe even 60, mm-hmm. 40. But this isn't going to be completely his bell cow situation that you see on other teams, in my opinion, because. You have two talented running backs, and this is coming from somebody that doesn't like Kenny Drake very much. He's still a talented running back, and what we talked about on Monday is what I'll continue to say about Edmonds was the Lamar Miller comparison. I think you threw his name out when I was trying to think of good comparisons, is that what if he's less efficient with more touches, and then even if he's not, again, to go back to the 20 carries, 170 yards, as Cliff Kingsbury is a smart coach, and a lot of coaches are at this point, is why? Why would you even do that to Chase Edmonds when you have the ability to not get either one of them worked into the ground? Like Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry because also he's a freak of nature size-wise. You're not worried about it. But you see a lot of teams, like James Connors getting spelled by Benny Snell. Like that's why we're getting so angry about James Connors. Coaches are out there now in the new NFL is that how many running backs do you really see getting to 20, 25 touches every single week because they know they want to keep them healthy? Yeah, it's definitely a good point. It's something that we're going to have to keep our eye on in this one. And uh, you know, on the other side of that game, I think we have another running back uh, who fits into this mix in a much different way. It's Matt Breida, uh, looking like uh, we're making this uh, this uh, this assumption, right? That with Miles Gaskin out for the next three weeks, that it's going to be an all hands on deck approach in Miami, and that Breida is most likely to lead that approach. But it is an assumption. I think if you're looking for a one-for-one replacement, if Miami is looking for a one-for-one replacement for Miles Gaskin, Matt Breida is obviously the guy on the roster who can most closely do what Miles Gaskin has done for them to this point of the season. Hopefully that's what we see. Hopefully we end up being right in that situation, and Matt Breida is basically stepping right into the Miles Gaskin role. Uh, but how confident are we in that, Jake? And what do you think he needs to do to cement himself as that player for as long as Gaskin is out? Right now the team is calling it three weeks. Yeah, so 2018, 2019, we've seen what Matt Breida can do. Uh, we, in our rates, I joked about it in the column, as Brandon knows, but have you seen how fast Matt Breida is? Like, that's all <laughs> anybody wants to talk about. But we have games of 121 yards on 12 carries, 114 on 11 carries, 138 on 11 carries, 101 on 17, 106 on 14. Here's the thing about Matt Breida, too. 
there's zero games in there, if you noticed, of even 18 carries. So the top's out at 17. He doesn't need 20. He's probably not going to get 20. But similar to somebody asking me on Twitter, as they said, what about Jordan Howard? I said, well, because Matt Breed is a better player. Jordan Howard's also <laughs> been a game day inactive for, what, three weeks now? Matt Breed, yeah, yes, 100% right. the guy. But are they going to give him 20 touches rightfully, smartfully? They probably won't. But you give smartfully. me 15. What? <laughs> Smartfully, I like that. Yeah, smartfully. You're throwing a word in there. <laughs> uh, the, the thing is, is like if you get 15, if you just get 15, he's probably going to get two or three receptions as well, so you can get to 17, 18 touches. And Matt Breida, what I keep telling everybody, this could bomb. Matt Breida could get hurt his first game back. Matt Breida has an injury history. Matt Breida could bomb, and Jordan Howard could get two rushing touchdowns and vulture in both away. They might get Lynn Bowden involved. Uh, obviously, the Washington situation is not going to matter for this week because he has to pass all the protocols, and I still think that was only a depth signing with Gaskin Hurt, mm -hmm. or trade, I should say. Trade. But it could bomb. At the same time, we've seen Breida be a league-changing running back. I mean, fantasy league-changing running back. If he's getting 15 to 18 touches the rest of the season, he's going to be a top 15 running back, and you have to take that chance. Brandon, let me ask you a slightly different uh, version of this same question, or at least something in this same situation. We're not going to draw, you're not even going to come close. We're not going to even make a mark on a paper that would look like we're starting to draw a conclusion about this offense under Tua Tungabailoa after one game, especially given the way that game went last week. But just the style of player Tungabailoa is, what we saw from Miles Gaskin and his usage last week in the passing game, does it give you pause at all uh, for Brita playing alongside the rookie? No, I, I, not really. Again, I think it all comes down to what you just said. You cannot just make any assessments about that off. I mean, Miami is getting defensive scores early. It was almost sort of ideal for the Dolphins to, in, in Tua's first game is just to have him not have to throw a ton, to just be out there, to game manage a lead, and just not make any damning mistakes. And I think, you know, now that he's kind of got that out of a system, I think they can open things up a little bit more. But if you're telling me that Tua is not the kind of quarterback that can feed a running back in the passing game like Ryan Fitzpatrick did with Miles Gaskin, I'm just not going to be ready to subscribe to that. I don't think they can that's going to there's going to be an appreciable difference. If they want to throw the ball to the running back and they want to throw to Matt Breida out in space, I think they'll be able to do that. So I'm I actually expect that Breida probably will be fairly active in that part of the game. All right, guys, next back I want to talk about, again, someone we talked about on Monday, Justin Jackson, Chargers taking on the Raiders this week. Jackson, 17 carries for 89 yards a week ago. We know that uh, probably, most likely, no back is running away with this job, but we have to just look at this clear-eyed and say they've played three games without Austin Eckler, and in two of those three games, Justin Jackson has been clearly the better running back getting something resembling a workhorse's type of carry numbers, at least. Last week, he also made quite the dent in the passing game as well. Uh, it feels as though Justin Jackson, at least for now, we can say, is atop the depth chart. Not going to run away, not going to be a 22-carry, seven-target sort of guy, but at least he is atop the depth chart. Brandon, is that enough to buy into him as a somewhat comfortable starter for fantasy owners this week? Uh, yeah, I have him ranked as a as an RB two, kind of a solid top twenty back into the top twenty uh, RB two, and I'm I'm with you. I know where you stand, Michael. You've been you you were kind of uh, on the you know on a pedestal for him on Monday, and I'm kind of you know I was more inclined to agree with you. I, I think there's a you know a, a, a 
somewhat of a chance that jo- it's a Josh Kelly, you know, emerges again, kind of like we saw after the first game and Justin Jackson was the guy. And then the second game it was Josh Kelly more. And then the third game where we're back at Justin Jackson. But I think I would I would buy that Justin Jackson's a better running back. I don't think. You know, super highly of Josh Kelly overall. I think in the passing game, Justin Jackson's a clear leader. And that's going to kind of be what is going to be the helpful sustaining value week in and week out is those valuable catches at the running back position in fantasy. And Justin Jackson's got those. And he's probably, you know, no worse than a 50-50 split in the running game. But if that's the case, then give me Justin Jackson every time. And I think there's a little bit more of a disparity, a better chance that Justin Jackson is the guy this week over Josh Kelly. Yeah, he's, he's been the best running back. I still don't trust this backfield a lick because it could change in-game, as we've seen. And then now Troy Maine Pope is involved. And, yeah, I have to pause when I say that because it is Troy Maine and not Tremaine. So <laughs> just yeah. the fact that what if Justin or Justin Kelly, Joshua Kelly looks good to start things. And then I'm not saying he's better than Justin Jackson. I'm not saying Pope is better than Justin Jackson. I just don't trust Anthony Lynn not changing up his situation from game to game. Justin Jackson is going to be the highest ranked one. But if I can avoid this backfield, if I can sell Justin Jackson right now for RB2 value, it sounds like Eckler's probably not back till late in the season, but he's going to be coming back at some point too. I, I would just get away if I could. All right, we've got two more backfield committees I want to look at. I'm going to only let one of you guys handle one apiece. So uh, if you have a really strong feeling against what the other person said, then jump in. But otherwise, uh, I'm going to let you take the second one, Jake. So the first one's going to go to you, Brandon. Buffalo's running backs against your Seattle Seahawks. Both of them had productive games last week. They both got 14 carries. Devin Singletary turned his into 86 yards. Zach Moss turned his into 81, but was in in those key goal-to-go situations and scored two touchdowns. Josh Allen, of course, added another touchdown on the ground as well. So how do you rank these two Buffalo running backs going into this matchup with Seattle? Um, well, I kind of, you know, I give I give Devin Singletary, they're mostly a 50-50 kind of split, but Zach, Zach Moss, as you said, is going to be more likely to get the goal line carries, and Devin Singletary is going to be more likely to lead in receptions. I mean, not every week, but uh, over the course of time, I would, I would, you know, bet that way. I think you know, Seattle, for as bad as they've been against the past, no one's really getting rich against them on the ground except for Alexander Madison and the Minnesota Vikings. But other than that, they've they've kind of been really good at limiting running backs, especially, you know, up the middle, you know, in the trenches, like between the tackles. They've been good. So I expect this to be a Devin Singletary game a little bit more than Zach Moss, but I kind of have him ranked back to back. And by back to back, I mean just outside the RB2 class. I think there's enough of a concern for both of them because it's just a straight split and because the matchup is not a slam dunk that uh, you know, you're playing a little bit with fire if you're feeling confident about just slamming them in your lineup this week. Jake, you want a word there or you want to move on to the next group? No, let's move on. All right. Well, then I'm going to give you the Denver running backs at the Atlanta Falcons. How are you feeling about Philip Lindsay, who we know you like better, and Melvin Gordon this week? Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm glad you threw this one to me because it's Philip Lindsay, Philip Lindsay, Philip Lindsay. He's the better running back, and <laughs> Melvin Gordon is still going to be mixed in. He's not going to completely ever go away, and he is the pass catcher. I don't know why. Nobody can really explain why. Uh, even maybe the coaching staff, I don't know if they know why, but why Philip Lindsay went from two years ago being a great receiver to let's not use him at all. But the fact is that when he has the ball in his hands, he's still great as a runner. So I'm going to take Philip Lindsay over Melvin Gordon every single week. But Melvin Gordon's also playable, similar to the situation with the Ravens, because a lot has to do with this matchup, too, in Atlanta. 
Yeah, that's not going to be a bad one for sure. It's going to be a fun fantasy game on that game. Hopefully we get Kelvin Ridley back, who uh, is day-to-day not practicing on Wednesday because of the foot sprain that knocked him out last Thursday night against the Panthers. Brandon, you want a word on Denver? Should we just move right on to our uh, off-the-radar fringe running back that you're starting this week? No, I always feel like slightly inclined to defend Melvin Gordon a little bit, but I, <laughs> you know, not, not enough to really dive in here if we want to move on. All right, then why don't you take this one first and off the radar fringe running back that you're starting this week? Who you got? Uh, gosh, I don't really know where to go with this one, to be honest with you. I think Leonard Fournette in the in the Tampa backfield could be tricky this week. I mean, I, I still have Ezekiel Elliott ranked as the 14th running back. I mean, he's probably going to get 20 carries, but we know that is that is a very limited ceiling right now with that offense. I mean, as much as you want to stay away from this offense completely, you can't ignore the good chance that Elliott gets 20 touches and it's, he's suddenly become David Montgomery, you know, and that's, that's kind of where you have to look at him now. That is damning with faint praise right there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jake, who you got here? You can take both of them, a starter that you're considering sitting and an off the radar guy that you would consider starting. Yeah. Well, I already gave you the off. I'm going to go back to Matt Breida. I think I would just pick him up, plug him in Mm -hmm. immediately. Uh, There's no, I would have him. I do. I have him as RB 24. Like I already have him in the low end RB two conversation immediately plug him in uh, just for the upside alone. So benchable, I could go back to Melvin Gordon, but that's only because he's RB three versus normally being an RB two in a lot of people's minds. Mm -hmm. I, I will give another one, which which probably feels kind of obvious, but I'm not starting Ronald Jones. <laughs> I don't know why yeah, like, people yeah. want to make apologies for what happened. It, the, the, the thing is, though, it, it might just be his game because it seems like you don't want the person starting under Bruce Arians because something will happen in the game that will turn <laughs> to the other guy. All right, guys, let's get on to that wide receiver position. Where else could we start in week nine? But with Antonio Brown, he is going to be active, making his Tampa Bay Buccaneers debut a huge game. In the NFC South between the Bucks and the Saints, the Saints won the first game between these two teams, so this one really could determine who ends up being the NFC South champion. Chris Godwin, his availability still up in the air. Bruce Arians already sounding a pessimistic note on Chris Godwin. So let's start with just this week. I got a couple of questions I want both of you guys to answer on Antonio Brown and this Buccaneer situation. This week, Jake, if you've got Antonio Brown, how are you feeling about him? I'm feeling that I'm going to find a way to get him in a lot of my lineups. He's definitely not a must start, but at the same time, if you pick him up and you're excited to see what he can bring, why wouldn't you start him? I, I would think that Antonio Brown still has top 15 upside. We've talked about it before, if he's just 90% of what we knew before, and the Saints secondary has been very vulnerable. This is a, what we assume to be a shootout. I just I have him at wide receiver twenty seven. I'd play him in front of Darius Slayton against the Washington defense. I'd play him in front of Ayuk against Alexander. I'd play him over all the Jaguars wide receivers, not knowing what Jake Luton's gonna do. So I don't see how you don't just put him in. I understand he has a zero floor, especially when Arians is being coy about ten snaps, thirty snaps, whatever it might be. I just for you bring in Antonio Brown and he's finally available to be active. You only give him 10 snaps. I don't, then Arians is just a buffoon. (laughs) Uh, He's not a buffoon. And so, yeah, I mean, I I agree. I mean, he's in great shape. Antonio Brown just always keeps himself in great shape. They even said that he came through the door basically game ready. And I believe that Tom Brady, for whatever reason, I mean, I, I think I know the reason because he's ridiculously talented, but he loves Antonio Brown. He's, he's living. You know, he invited him into his house to live with him. Like, I just, 
I think back to the New England game when he when he played, he had like three or four catches and 54 yards and a touchdown, didn't play a full game. But I I think that could play out similarly. Um, I expect him to get a, an appreciable amount of snaps and to be able to make an impact. I'm with Jake. I, I kind of in my head said, OK, I, I feel like he can be ranked no worse than a, than a mid-level wide receiver three this week. So if you picked up Antonio Brown, I, I don't see why you don't don't just play him unless you're just completely stacked at wide receiver. Okay, and a follow-up really quickly here. Uh, Jake, you take this one first. Rank for me the Buccaneers receivers for the rest of the season. God, Don't include Gronk, just the three yeah, receivers. Yeah, it's, it's easy in my opinion. God, Brown, Evans, and uh, Eric, I'll give you a sneak preview, jump ahead. I have Evans way down as a wide receiver three this week. The numbers were already there with Godwin active. 20% of the targets, plus 20-plus percent of the targets to Godwin – when Evans is when both of them out there, Evans is around ten or eleven percent. Now you're throwing Antonio Brown in the mix. Uh, Evans might be done for. Ooh, I don't know. I mean, I I, I honestly don't know. I, I hate to even throw out anything because it could be completely Come wrong. On, I honestly say this is a shuffle the deck. I don't. I'm not as damning on Mike Evans, uh, but I'll just. I'm going to say Brown Evans Godwin. I have I have a feeling and it's not because it's not because of any production thing. I just have a feeling that Godwin's going to have a hard time ever getting all the way right. I just I think there's he's dealing with the the leg injury right now. He just this might be a, a lost year for him in terms of staying healthy for a, a consistent amount of time. Well, if you're going to throw that into the mix. <laughs> That's kind of my my feeling is that we may not get a, you know, a a completely healthy Godwin for a, you know, it's certainly at, fair. I mean, he's been time. in and out and in and out. If he was 100%, would you still rank him the same way? Like if I told you he uh, plays no, the I next- would, I would, I would probably be, I would probably mirror your rankings because I would, you know, I would lean to, we've seen from Mike Evans, it's kind of been hit or miss and it's, you know, it's touchdown dependent and I'm going to lean on the guys I think Brady's going to target the most. And so I would probably go the same order, Godwin, Brown and, and Evans, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put Evans a distant third. Like it sounds like you would. No, that's, and that's, 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 yeah, I was kind of curious to hear that for that reason to get the context behind it. All right, guys, thanks for that uh, fun answer, because now uh, you just made it very easy on me figuring out what I'm going to pull out <laughs> to promote this show in you know an hour and a half or so when I'm going through the editing process. So I appreciate it we're here very much. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, Corey Davis. I said we were going to talk about him. I had to double check, but I was pretty sure that I had him down as someone who I wanted to talk about. Titans again hosting the Bears this week. Corey Davis has given you at least 69 yards or a touchdown in every game this season. Three touchdowns, two 100-yard games. Uh, this guy is... You know, saving his career, I would say, at least in terms of being viewed as a viable starting NFL wide receiver. It's not like he was going to fall out of the league after this season, but proving his worth. It took a few years longer than a lot of people expected, but having a very nice season for the Titans this year. We know this Bears matchup is a tough one, but... I don't think we should be concerned about it. Just like we talked about with Ryan Tannehill, Corey Davis is feeling to me like someone who starts out the week, a default starter, and then maybe based on matchup or uh, injury situations or things like that, you pull him out, but probably a guy who you're starting every single week. Brandon, are you on that same page with Corey Davis? Yeah, I mean, 10 targets each of the last two games. A.J. Brown's back, and he's going to draw more of the attention. So Corey Davis gets to play, you know, against, um, you know, lesser corners and, and lesser attention. And I'm with you. I think he's kind of – I think you start out with him in, in sort of the wide receiver three mix. And you got – you know, as you go through bye weeks and you got three Cincinnati receivers that you would normally play and two 
Rams receivers that you'd normally play and Travis Fulgham and uh, Jarvis Landry out. Like, it's pretty hard to not make a case for Corey Davis in your starting lineup. It's kind of first world problems if you have to hem and haw about putting him in there. Yeah, it's so I'll, I'll let Pat Mayo for everybody out there that he gave me the victory lap yesterday. Corey Davis, Devontae Parker career. This is like I said, this is why I was telling everybody draft him, draft him, draft him, draft him. And I, that, now, of course, I wasn't guaranteeing a Devontae Parker resurgent career at the end, but I was like, this is what could happen. This is why nobody wanted him. You guys remember this. Nobody wanted him this. And that's why I wasn't saying go draft Corey oh, Davis yeah. in the eighth round. It's just, but now Corey Davis is free when people were drafting him in the seventh or eighth round the year before, sometimes even higher because of his potential. And he's finally hit. I don't know if the A.J. Brown being gone let him kind of get settled in and feel better. It's similar to the Aguilar. Maybe he needed some confidence. But what Brandon just pointed out is that even with A.J. Brown back, it's it's all Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. And it, sorry, Brandon, but your boy is the, 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 the recipient of the unfortunate situation there. Who? Jonathan My Smith. boy? Who's my boy? Johnny Smith. Johnny. Oh, yeah, Johnny. You gotta, always got to pull Johnny into there. Why are you doing that to me? <laughs> um, all right, guys. Let's move on here to DJ Chark. Uh, we know the situation in Jacksonville. Gardner Minshew is going to be out because of the thumb injury, and you got to wonder for how long. Uh, guys just don't bounce back from thumb injuries on their throwing hands. So Jake Luton is going to be at the helm for the Jaguars. Obviously, we're not going to have the same floor or ceiling for DJ Chark, Jake, but uh, as our resident uh, Jaguars supporter, <laughs> I guess I'm going to say, a guy who loves Gardner Minshew, loves DJ Chark. Uh, we all love James Robinson. Uh, how far are you pushing DJ Chark down your rankings because of the quarterback issues? Well, so I also tweeted out what I talked about, Luton, and I like to call him Jakey Luton, like Louis Vuitton. Uh, so that's, that's that's what we should do. And I actually Pretty keep good. screwing up his last name because I keep thinking like Louis Vuitton. <laughs> so, but Luton, yes. Uh, and you're calling him and you're calling him Jakey. And I know you hate to be called Jakey. I know, but so, I'm not. Well, I'm why not are you doing that to a fellow Jake? <laughs> because you can't do. I can't do Jake Luton because then you don't get the Louis Vuitton. You got to add the e at the right. end. Right. I do hate good. it, but you're right. It's pretty good. <laughs> Maybe we'll put that little like uh, enunciation mark over the e so it's not a full Jakey. It's like J.K. Luton, maybe <laughs> like that. Uh, yeah. Here's the thing. My Luton concern is that his placement can be off, especially his deep ball. Uh, watching him in college, uh, also, uh, Brandon will know this because he's Pac-12 guy. Out there in Oregon State, out there playing against pretty much some weaker competition when you talk about defenses in the Big Ten, the SEC, and stuff like that, even the ACC. And he didn't always look really good. And what I'm talking about the placement is that receivers have to break off their routes to adjust to the ball. He's asking receivers to adjust too much. So my first instinct is that hurts DJ Chark, uh, similar to Cam Newton when you know we want shorter game for him. Josh Allen, that's a really good comparison. Like I don't want the deeper guys. I want the Keelan Coles, the LaVisca Chenaults. And I say all that to say I'm downgrading the entire passing game because we also don't know who Luton likes the most. What if it's the narrative that is a narrative and it's not truth, but people buy into they practice with the guy the most? What if it's Colin Johnson? But I have the same concern of Colin Johnson because he's more of a deep option like DJ Chark. So I would say DJ Chark is a wide receiver for Keelan Cole's a wide receiver for, you know, I've been campaigning for Keelan Cole to be on more teams this year, but it could be LaVisca Chanel's that the main beneficiary because there's some connection there. We won't know until Luton plays and you have risk with all of them. 
Yeah, I, I'm predisposed to like LaVisca Chanel. You know that. And so in my mind, I can easily go to a narrative where, oh, they're just going to get a lot of dump off and easy passes to LaVisca Chanel to get loot and comf- comfortable. And and so I'm 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 going to have to fight that, you know, desire this week to want to just throw LaVisca Chanel into my flex spot and really kind of think it over. But I am worried about the passing game in general. I think, you know, this is kind of like it can go multiple ways, right? We saw the Ben DiNucci, the guy in the seventh round. This is the area where where Jake Luton was uh, taken, you know. But then again, Jacksonville takes a sixth rounder last year named Gardner Minshew, and he, you know, he takes the league by storm, sort of. So who knows which direction this goes. But yeah have to recognize the Danucci downside here and not just look at it as like, oh, this is another Gardner Minshew situation. We need another phrase for someone who like doesn't take the league by storm, but take like takes the league by like solid rain shower. Right. Right. It's solid like part of Minshew is just the cult of Minshew, right? Like it's it wasn't all just the stats, it was just the, they take the, the swagger by and summer all that. rain. How about that? <laughs> yeah, right. It wasn't. It wasn't a. There wasn't a storm, but it wasn't a drizzle right. either. Uh, right. You know, it was. It was something in between. Yeah, there. the summer rain. There's a little <laughs> so bit of steam. Was, you saw it. You saw the potential. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, Gardner Minshew taking the NFL by summer rain. Let's hope Jake Luton <laughs> can do the same, especially for DJ Chark's uh, fantasy value. Let's take also a look now at the Pittsburgh wide receivers. I know we keep talking about this every single week, you guys, but I just want to talk about Dallas. We've talked about how that matchup on paper obviously great, and if it does get to a point where they're leading by three scores, then the passing game has probably done something to get it there. But I guess my question is as simple as this. If you have one of them, any of them, I don't care if it's Deontay, I don't care if it's Juju, I don't care if it's Claypool. If you have one, are you starting whoever that is, Jake? Oh, wow. I thought you were going to Brandon first on that one. Yeah, for this week, (laughs) I'm starting all of them in a matchup like this. Uh, That's really what it comes down to against Dallas. And I know that uh, Brandon mentioned before, Dallas isn't as susceptible as people think, uh, mostly because they can't do anything on offense since Dak's been disappearing. So, or deck disappeared, I should say. Uh, the the fact is, is that why do teams have to run up the score? So that's the concern there. But they still are vulnerable, and I just can't tell you guaranteed who's it going to be unless I knew Deontay Johnson was 100% every single week. Because if he's 100%, he's the guy. Uh, I was talking about this. I had Vlad Sedler on my podcast, and in the three games where he was 100%, 38 targets. Three games, 38 targets. He is the guy if we knew he was 100%. So I'm still starting Deontay Johnson because if he is, he's going to have a great game. Chase Claypool, big play waiting to happen. Juju Smith-Schuster started to come back to life a little bit. Slot game option. So I think that I go Deontay, and then between the next two, it would be Juju Smith-Schuster for the floor, Claypool for the upside. But most weeks, I think you just kind of have to start all three of them on the upside alone. Yeah, I'll get back to the fact that I, I you know, I, I threw Ben Roethlisberger out as a name you got to be cautioned about, you know, for the reason that the second half could just be a very conservative, milk the league kind of a deal. Uh, but I think one of these receivers is going to have a heyday in the first half. It's going to be a guy that you're, I think it's like one of them is going to be really good, one of them is going to be medi- medium, and the other one's going to be a complete miss. But good luck trying to figure out who that's going to be. Um, and so I think for that reason, you have to consider playing all of them like jake said i will say man i've seen trayvon Diggs get ripped on a lot that guy's talented and every time i watch him he shows up he's going to be a good corner in this league and this is not like a case where just dallas is so untalented in the secondary and stuff like that it's just a it's just a bad team right now and that sometimes lands hard on these corners especially we can't get get to the quarterback but uh 
I just want to, I just want to just kind of stump for Trayvon Diggs right there. I don't know why. I just keep seeing him show up. I think he's a talented guy, and I think he'll ultimately be a really good corner. All right, guys, Devontae Parker next up. And that I want to talk about Dolphins. We've talked about them quite a bit here at Arizona, just as a reminder. Last three games for Devontae Parker haven't gone quite as expected. Six catches on 13 targets, 88 yards. Saved his day a couple of times with some touchdowns, two touchdowns in those last three games. To be fair, he has dealt with some injuries for a good chunk of this season. But are we concerned at all going forward on Devontae Parker, where he stands just uh, with the look of this Miami offense, Brandon? I think you have to be. I mean, I think this could be another game, and, and if he draws Patrick Peterson as a shadow, you, you're worried about that a little bit as well. But, you know, we knew that Ryan Fitzpatrick was a riverboat gambler, that he was willing to trust Devontae Parker to, in, in, you know, in, in tight spots and things like that. We don't know what Tua looks like when he's turned loose for something close to 30, 30 passes. And I think, you know, they're going to probably have to – that may end up being the case this week. I just don't know how that's going to look. I think you're concerned. I think this is a decent chance of another game where a touchdown might have to save his value. I don't really see him as a you know a someone who's going to compile a bunch of catches and yards this week. Yeah, don't, not much to add to that until we see Tua play a little bit better. And you know he was he didn't need to do much as Brandon mentioned in that game because of the turnovers and such. But at the same time. Didn't inspire a lot of confidence as a whole in his first game. I do think Tua is a very talented quarterback, but we need to see better. And actually, if you look at this matchup, Arizona is an intriguing DFS. DF, D, why can't I talk? DFS play. <laughs> DFS play. There you go. You got it out eventually. <laughs> DFS play. You got it out. It's, it's good. We all knew what you were going for anyways, but you got it out, and we're very proud of you, Jake. And this is why I went to you first a couple of times ago, because I wanted to get you first on Sterling Shepard. Also, you're, when I think of Sterling Shepard, I think of Jake Seeley. There's a few players in the league who that's true for. Sterling Shepard is one of them. Two games since returning from his injury, 18 targets. He's caught 14 of them for 133 yards and a touchdown in those same two games. Darius Slayton, 12 targets, 7 catches, 79 yards. Golden Tate, 5 targets, 3 catches, 70 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, so he has uh, you know popped up with that uh, nice touchdown benefit, but not quite in as involved as either of the other receivers. Is Sterling Shepard the number one receiver for the Giants? Yes. <laughs> How many times do I have to say this know. one? Like, it doesn't matter. I've said it so many times, people are going to be like, they knew my response. It doesn't matter if 100% of the players are healthy, 50% of the players are healthy, 10% of the players. If Sterling Shepard is healthy, he is the number one wide receiver proven by numbers again and again. And again, he is the number one wide receiver for the Giants. He should be the number one wide receiver for the Giants. And he should be a wide receiver three along with Darius Slayton on any teams because Darius Slayton has the bigger play upside. But Slayton's the volume guy. I think that if you want to compare this to a situation, we could say until Juju Smith-Schuster bounced back, this is a Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool type of situation where both of them are wide receiver threes with wide receiver one upside. Actually, at the time, they were both wide receiver twos, but you get the point. I really could have used you reminding Daniel Jones about Sterling Shepard being the number one in the first half of that game. He missed him by last like week. one yard. That would have been what, eight, like 70, 80 yards and a touchdown on that play, too? Yeah, and I lost a, I lost a fantasy game by one point. I had Sterling Shepard. I just needed him to get one more point. It's a full PPR, <laughs> and I was just. It's just killing me, but uh, but he really leaned on Sterling Shepard in the second half. He just It was all Darius Slayton in the first half, but I think. I agree with you that he's the number one. I just think Slayton's Slayton's pretty close. All right. We've got a lightning round to hit on here. Um, Jake, why don't you take this first? A regular starter 
that you would consider sitting this week. I feel like we've had a little trouble with the lightning round so far today. So I'm going to talk slowly. Okay. A regular starter you would <laughs> consider sitting. I already mentioned one, Mike Evans, so I'll throw out another one. Cooper and the entire cast of Cowboys wide receivers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I think I would consider sitting DJ Chark as well. We already talked about him. Uh, I would say a, a a fringe guy that I think you play is Cole Beasley against Seattle. I mean, before last week, I ran the numbers. The previous 16 games for Cole Beasley, regular season games, 76 catches, 976 yards and seven touchdowns. The the previous sixteen games was better than Odell Beckham's season last year. You know, I he, it was like the twenty fourth would have been the twenty fourth wide receiver overall last year in half PPR points. So uh, he is a he is just a a rock solid wide receiver three that most people aren't really recognizing him for yet. Do you remember I mentioned at the top of the show? I already mentioned who my wide receiver was, Quintus Cephas. Uh, I'm going back to him just like they went back to him in week one when Kenny Galladay was out. Big play upside here. There you go. Get a badger in. I love it, Jake. There we go. Let's go over to the tight end position. Two guys I want to talk about here. We'll wrap up the show with them. Hunter Henry, what's going on? If someone would have told you back in week two, Justin Herbert's about to take the league by storm, not by summer shower, by storm. <laughs> Justin Herbert's going to be a QB1. The Chargers are going to be putting up 27, 30, 35 points every single game. You would have thought Hunter Henry, top five tight end, no question about it. And that just has not been the question. Fewer than 40 yards in four straight games in the six Justin Herbert starts, 31 catches on 45 targets for 405 yards and one touchdown. Uh, Brandon, you take this one first. Why is he the one guy who isn't being brought along by this Justin Herbert search? Well, because Anthony Lynn likes to run the football, and and then Justin Herbert likes to throw a whole lot to Keenan Allen, and then he also likes to take deep, deep shots with Mike Williams and Jalen Guyton, and Hunter Henry is kind of the guy that's getting squeezed a little bit. Let me tell you something, though. Like, the tight end position is so bad, and you look at Hunter Henry, he's had three catches or more in every game except for one, and he's had four catches or more in, in every game except for two. Like, and he's getting, like, 25 35 yards in this stretch it's almost with with as bad as the tight end position is like it's enough to keep going back to the well on him hoping for the touchdown hoping for a little bit more yardage off of the volume um because it gets so bad after the first six seven eight tight ends that um you're still kind of playing him because he's as much of a you know he's not as much of a dice roll as a lot of the other guys you're gonna end up having to consider when he said, let me tell you something, the reason I chuckled is I was thinking back to In Living Color. Let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't go full David Throwback for anybody that's at least in their 30s. <laughs> so uh, it really comes down to, I'm not saying I disagree with you completely that I would have said, I wouldn't have said top five. I would have said tight end one and still been wrong, Mike. I did think you'd be tight end one, but I, for what Brandon just said is why I was not quite top five sold. If you would have told me, Justin Herbert, I was on Hunter Henry this year because of Tyrod Taylor. And because of who Taylor is and how he plays, the switch to Herbert is what Brandon mentioned. He's aggressive. He's going downfield. He's not looking for the short passes. So that's why I've been a little bit more conservative, but still wrong as a tight end one. It's just not clicking the run game, as mentioned with Brandon. Brandon brought up a lot of good points. That's why I'm kind of almost just doubling down on everything he said. And I think that Hunter Henry's barely, I don't even have him as a tight end one this week. I don't know how you play him in the way that Justin Herbert plays his game. Yeah, there you go. You've got him down at tight end 14. When I looked this morning, one of the guys who you have ahead of him is the other guy who I want to talk about at this position, Evan Ingram. You've got him as tight end eight ahead of 
Hunter yeah. Henry, Hayden Hurst, <laughs> Eric Ebron, Janu Smith, Brandon's boy, as we all know, Mike Kosicki, who has been incredibly up and down and way more down than up this season. Evan Ingram in that group as well, but he has been getting plenty of usage. So why do you see him as a top 10 tight end this week? Yeah, it really comes down, and this is somebody that myself, I haven't liked Evan Ingram this season because Daniel Jones keeps throwing to him while he's covered. Uh, he's not separating, and then even when he does separate, he's like, Daniel Jones waits too long. But as you just mentioned, he's been peppering him, and that's the good thing. You know, he had that two-week downstretch against Dallas and Washington, but out before that, it was five, seven, eight, ten targets. The last two games, nine and ten. Washington is actually weak against the tight end. But it's similar to other teams we talk about. It's because they're susceptible over the middle. This is actually why I don't really like Slayton as much as Shepard. There's a bigger gap this week than I would think most weeks because they get after the quarterback, which means the quarterback has to think quickly. They have to get the ball out quickly, which means Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate type of game. Not that I'm starting Golden Tate, but to bring up the point of could easily get the 10 targets and they're also weaker against the tight end because of that, because that's where people are targeting him is the middle of the field. So I don't love Evan Ingram and you know, I don't love Daniel Jones, but if you're going to give me a tight end, that's getting nine or 10 targets with an advantageous matchup, he's going to be a tight end one just for the upside of the volume, not necessarily even a touchdown, just the volume alone. All right, last question of the day here. We know there's no such thing as a regular starter you would consider sitting at this position. So let's talk to the Dallas Goddard people. Let's talk to the people who streamed Harrison Bryant last week and didn't get anything out of him, and now he is on by this week. Someone who you could go grab right now, a off-the-radar fringe tight end that you would start this week. Uh, Jake, why don't you take this one first? Oh, Brandon knows where I'm going. I'm going straight to his team. Uh, and so for everybody out there, by the way, called him a sleeper. This is risky. Everybody's like, oh, I like everything you said, but, 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 but he's a sleeper tight end. <laughs> I'm not saying start him inside the top 10. But Will Disley outsnapped Greg Olson last week, and we know what Will Disley did last year. And we saw Will Disley put up double-digit points every single game in a row after week one until he got hurt. Again, it's risky. He's still splitting with Greg Olson. But if you're going deep, you said, like, we're not talking to people who have, you know, even Jono, I'm still starting over him. But if you have Jono, Ingram, Cook, Gesicki, you're not looking this far. So if you're going desperate, I think Will Disley has some upside. Here's another desperate guy. I mean, I like Will Disley. I think he's going to continue to start you know, to be trending in the right direction. Uh, Jordan Akins, remember him? He had a yes. what looks to be a great first month compared to what the Titans have done, you know. And and he was been out for a long time, but he returned to practice. They're coming off the bye, and I expect that he'll move back up into the number one spot there. I, you know, you look at Jacksonville's numbers against the tight end; they're terrible. So I think Jordan Akins could return and return with a pop this week. All right, I like it, Jordan Akins. Very nice, and definitely someone who was looking like he was maybe going to play his way at least into this stream mix at the start of the season, coming back from the injury. Looking like a couple of guys who we could get into the tight end mix here this week. And as always, we are very happy you joined the mix with us on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. We are going to call it an episode on Week 9 Rankings. This show, the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, right back here with you tomorrow. I will be sitting in for the slacker vacationing Nando DeFino as the host with Jake Seeley and Eric Moody. The three of us will be back with you as a trio on Monday to look back at week nine and ahead to week 10. 
waivers. And of course, if you are out there, not a subscriber, like I said, be right around table. You want to read that? Jake's rankings. You want to read that? Athletic.com slash fantasy football pod gets you in the door for just $1 a week. For Jake and Brandon, I am Michael Beller. This show returns tomorrow. Until then, thanks for listening and have a great day. 